Well, this morning, I just wanted to encourage you, uh, before we dive into our psalm this morning, uh, two weeks ago, Bob Cobb gave his sermon, and after uh, he was done second service, uh, Grandma, with her young uh, granddaughter, came up to tell Bob that she became a believer that morning. Yeah. So God is building his kingdom. And Bob says, I didn't think I even gave a gospel call that morning. Um, the grandmother just noticed she was almost looks like she was in turmoil. And she asked what was going on. And she said, I'm, I gave my heart to Jesus. So she came up and told us about it. And uh, we also had a teen boy this uh, last while. We dedicated his life. Another young girl became a believer and uh, I know a marriage has been uh, restored. So I'm just saying that as the pastor, sometimes I get to hear things that you don't get to hear. And I want you to know that God is at work and He is doing things, even though there is more work to, to be done. So, so yes, we can celebrate that Jesus is building His kingdom today. So this morning we're going to look at Psalm 51. So uh, it's been something I've looked at for many years, so I'm uh, excited to just share some thoughts on Psalm 51, and I'm sure a lot of us it's very familiar to you as well. Uh, so if you notice, the psalm opens up before even verse 1. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. And that was a very nice way of saying he actually committed adultery with Bathsheba. And I thought I could summarize what uh, took place back then, but I think it would be more impactful if we actually read the account there. Uh, and if you want to turn to 2 Samuel 11, I would just like to read um, a bunch of the account which led up to why David actually recorded Psalm 51. And I think just reading that and hearing it again and then reading Psalm 51 just uh, does, does help us out. So I want to read the first 15 verses in chapter 11 and we'll also read from uh, chapter 11, verse 26 to, to 12, 15. So it's a bit of a passage, but uh, let's start in... Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. David sent and inquired about the woman, and, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, 
Go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and he did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go down to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of, the, of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And the rest of the account shows how David, uh, the letter was sent and Joab put Uriah in the front and he was killed. So down to verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And we'll keep going to, uh, from 12, 1 to 15. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites." 
Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You will not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house. So there's the account of David. And uh, as everything came crashing down, uh, we have Psalm 51 as a response. So I want to read the first five verses of Psalm 51. And it says there, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So it took almost a year from when David committed his sin to when he was exposed by Nathan, by the Lord, actually. And uh, suddenly it all came crashing down and the full impact of what he had done uh, hid him. And so here's his response. No excuses, no blaming. David appeals to God's mercy and his steadfast love. And I know David probably memorized this from Exodus 34, uh, where God introduces himself to Moses in verses 5 to 7. And it says there, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, faithful and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. David called out to this God who was known for his steadfast love and mercy, and he cried out for this mercy. We see words like blot out, wash me, cleanse me. All these things just have this idea of this deep, dark stain that uh, can't be removed. It's just soaked in. And only God could deal with this kind of horrible stain. I don't know what the latest Ultra Tide or Resolve or what, what you can use to remove stains, but David knew there's just nothing that could remove this stain except God. So this cry for cleansing, uh, even though David heard from the prophet that God had forgiven him, that he would not die, I think David still wanted to experience that this weight the forgiveness was, was true and complete. 
not only did he want to know he was forgiven, but I think he wanted to feel uh, forgiven, that weight of his sin being lifted. And I'm sure we can uh, resonate with that at times and have a clear conscience again. So we prayed for cleansing. Verse 3 says he, his sin is ever before him. You can only imagine uh, when that all came crashing down, murder and adultery, and it was all before him, um, just like this big dark cloud. Verse 4 and 5, uh, David knows he has sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, but he knows ultimately that he has sinned against the Lord. So that's why it said, against you only have I sinned. He knows he sinned against other humans, but ultimately he rejected God's word and sinned against him. And when God calls these things sin and evil, David agrees that God is right to declare this and that David has no excuses. David could have come up with excuses. Well, I wasn't expecting to see a, a woman nude out there. What was I supposed to do? I'm only human. Or I didn't actually want to kill Uriah. It kind of happened in, when I was panicking and, and the excuses could have come. But David uh, knew that he had broken God's law and he accepted full responsibility. He knew, you know, you think of the Ten Commandments, he knew he coveted Uriah's wife. He committed adultery and he had Uriah killed. He committed murder. And all this was, was what he confessed. He broke God's laws and he knew that. Verse 5 is a little bit interesting. It seems like maybe David is suggesting his conception or his birth was somehow shady. But I think David, with unique insight, uh, simply acknowledges that he knows his sinful nature was there right from the beginning, right from birth. So he was saying that his propensity to sin was there right from birth, that these sins that he now committed were just exposing what was there right from birth. So I think that's unique insight because the Israelites had the law. So everything seemed to be external, but uh, David has this unique insight that he was sinful from the inside. There was a problem on the inside. And David recognizes that God desires the truth and godliness from the inside, from a heart that knows God and is um, wanting to be right with him, not just outward religious actions. And we'll talk about that more uh, a little bit later. Uh, let's keep reading verses 7 to 12. David says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And knowing what we just read in Samuel, you can just hear the ache of David uh, crying out uh, for God to restore and cleanse and even physically uh, heal him. And if you read 
Psalm 32. We won't turn there now, but uh, they believe that's also part of uh, his confession along these sins. He said he was physically drained, and he, like the heat in summer, and it wasn't until he confessed his sin that that burden was lifted. He physically was drained, and the weight of that sin uh, affected his whole being. In verse 7, he talks about hyssop. Uh, there were hyssop branches, and I think he's uh, remembering a lot of the cleansing ceremonies in the Old Testament where uh, the priest would often sprinkle uh, those with leprosy, skin diseases, and other issues. They would uh, sprinkle water and blood with hyssop branches. And uh, for some of the diseases, when the priest would discover that the person was healed, they would say, you are clean. And they would pronounce them clean. And this is what David uh, is asking for. Wash me and uh, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Declare me clean. And David longed to experience that and feel that. And so it's, it's an interesting scene. And he continues again to cry out uh, uh, to have the guilt and shame removed, to experience the joy of restoration and the freedom to come into God's presence again. If you had a skin disease, for example, and it was declared you do have leprosy, you'd have to go outside the camp. You would not be allowed to fellowship with the people or go to the temple or the, the tent. At that time, you'd be excluded. And so this is what David wants to be welcomed back uh, into uh, um, reconciliation with the people and with God. Verse 11 is interesting. Before David... Uh, was king, King Saul ruled, and uh, we know when he first started to rule, it said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he would be empowered to lead. Unfortunately, he was not faithful. He rejected God's word, and at one point it says, uh, I think it's 1 Samuel 16, if you want to read that later, uh, it said that the Spirit of the Lord left him and a tormenting spirit came upon him. A horrible scene. And so his uh, advisors said, why don't we find someone to play the harp uh, during your times of torment and maybe that'll help soothe you while he plays. And so most of you might know that David was chosen to do that. So David would play with Saul or play for Saul when this spirit, tormenting spirit came upon him. So David literally saw what it looked like for God's spirit to leave someone and have this tormenting spirit uh, come upon him. So he says, cast me not away from your presence, even though he knew he deserved that. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me, please. And David, again, knew God could do that, um, and he would deserve that. So he cries out, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And just a side note, some might be concerned about, oh, the Holy Spirit can leave us? That's a little unsettling. But we know that that was how the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, when we become followers of Jesus, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And according to Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, we are told that believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit for eternity. So uh, please don't become alarmed when you hear the Holy Spirit left King Saul. Uh, as believers, because of what Jesus do, uh, has done, we, we don't have to worry about that. Even though we sin and fail at times. So as we continue verses 13 to 15, uh, David is continuing just this longing to be restored and cleansed. And so that he can instruct others who find themselves in sin and brokenness, that he can help them find restoration and cleansing when they sin. So David knows the Lord needs to enable him to praise him again. After this great sin, you can imagine the shame and guilt David had, and he wanted this praise to truly come from this heart that was restored. Verse 16 to 19 says there, um, oh, wait a minute, let's go from 13 to uh, 15. thought I missed a couple verses there. It says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. So yes, David is longing to be restored so that he can instruct others. And uh, he again confesses this blood guiltiness, which is basically blood that's shed. And he knew he shed the blood of Uriah, an innocent man, one of his best fighting men, actually. And he wants to be able to instruct others how to find this forgiveness and restoration, which is um, very encouraging for David. It wasn't just an inward thing. He wanted others to know about this. Now let's go to 16 to 19. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Again, with unique insight, David realizes that he could sacrifice as many animals as he could. And being the king and having uh, access to many animals, uh, much treasure, he could pretty well give whatever God wanted. But he knew that wasn't going to be enough to pay for sin and that, that, that's not what God wanted. It would be useless to, to pay for sin with just the animals without this broken heart. Without a working in and change in the heart, this was all going to be useless to sacrifice. And it's interesting that in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, there actually was no sacrifice to cover adultery and uh, murder. They were, there was, it was punishable by death. 
So there was no sacrifice. So the fact that David was forgiven was an act of sheer mercy by God. So when we sin and desire forgiveness, a broken spirit and contrite heart means to experience godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And you can read about that in 2 Corinthians 7. This comes when our desire to be cleansed from sin is so consuming that our hearts ache with sorrow and we yearn to feel at peace with our Father in heaven. That's what the broken spirit and contrite heart means. It reminds us of Jesus' words in the Sermon of the Mount, uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the way back to God and a right, right relationship when we sin. This is the way back. And this humble attitude, David says, God will not despise. This humble, broken heart, God will not despise. He will not turn away from this humble, broken posture. Ezekiel 18 verse 23 says, God says, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And as we conclude the, the psalm, verse 18-19, it's believed that this was added after uh, David wrote this psalm, and it was uh, a way of saying, let's as a nation make this psalm our, na our nation prayer as well that we would have the same attitude of repentance and dependence on God so that right sacrifices uh, would be made. And so it says, do good to Zion, which is Jerusalem. And uh, so that was believed to be added later that this prayer should be for all of us, not just David. So yeah, I'd like to make uh, several observations as we uh, look at this psalm and, and what's happened. And, uh, you know, David uh, actually prayed that he would be able to teach transgressors their way and he would be able to instruct others. And here we are thousands of years later still depending on Psalm 51 uh, for you know, when we often are finding ourselves in sinful places and brokenness, and we read Psalm 51. Uh, so here David is, uh, through the Holy Spirit, still instructing us through this psalm. David, in a sense, had prepared himself for his big fall for many years. And one area where David was careless was the whole area of women. Deuteronomy 17, 17 uh, instructs the future kings of Israel, among other things, he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. David did not heed that call, and nor did his son Solomon, and in both of them it caused a lot of trouble. Uh, you can turn to this on your own, but if you want to read some of the history, in 2 Samuel 3, David is ruling in Hebron, where he ruled for seven years, and that was before he moved to the capital of Jerusalem. It says there already that he had six wives and maybe even a couple more. So he already had six wives, and as he came to Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 5, it said he acquired more wives and more concubines. 
And concubines are basically kind of like a wife, but just basically for your sexual pleasure and to build your kingdom, to have lots of children. And so David was a runaway train, basically, when it came to, uh, to dealing with women in his life. So he ignored God's word in this. Uh, it was interesting, God does not scold him for this or make mention of it, but he's expecting, David, you're doing this, but I'm still holding you to keep my word. That he would heed God's word. And even as you look at the sin there, David had multiple chances to pull out. When he first saw Bathsheba, he could have turned away. Oh, I better head inside. And when they said, isn't this the wife of Uriah? Okay, red flag, let's get out of here. But he kept on going. David had his lust leading the way, and uh, he followed through on what was happening. Interesting if you contrast that with uh, Joseph in Genesis 39. We read Joseph was being tempted by Potiphar's wife. And uh, Joseph said, no, how can I sin against God and do this evil thing and sin against Potiphar, who entrusted me with everything, including you? And so we read a very different response from someone else. Uh, but in this case, David failed miserably. We can read, uh, and you could turn to this later as well, Proverbs 7 instructs, us how to be on guard uh, against uh, falling into this sexual sin. And it says that a young man uh, went to a place where he knew there would be a woman uh, that would be of shady character, and he hung around there, and she invited him to come into his place. And after uh, a bit of a communication, the chilling words says, all at once he followed her. There was a point where he was tempted, and then all of a sudden it said, all at once he followed her. And I think that's what happened to David. All at once he said, I'm going for it. So I guess for myself and for us, a great question to ask is, am I preparing myself for a fall? Am I flirting with sin and being careless and for David, it was sexual sin. And I know in the culture we live in, um, we can pull up our iPhone, a computer, and we can have Bathsheba pictures by the hundreds in seconds. And we can flirt with all kinds of sins, hoping we can dodge the bullet of consequence, uh, hoping that, God would overlook it somehow or we just won't get in far enough to, to get in any serious trouble. And like I said, for myself and all of us, uh, we need to, to really ask ourselves, am I flirting with sin, whether it's sexual sin or other sin, and just uh, being careless, thinking it's not going to affect us, and it will. The New Testament tells us over and over that sin will bring death and corruption. We can expect nothing else. It's kind of like a tree. Uh, you can find a small tree and you can cut it off and for a while the leaves will stay green. It looks good. 
But then you'll notice the edges start turning brown, and then all of a sudden the leaves are turning brown, and then pretty soon, wow, this thing is dead. But it looked okay there for a while. So for myself and us, please, let's uh, not flirt with sin. If you find yourself there, pull out. Do what Joseph said. How can I sin against God and do this evil thing? And so, yes, David, uh, through careless actions, he basically set himself up uh, for this fall. Next observation, um, you may have heard that David is called a man after God's own heart and wonder, after all this, how can that be? And uh, we often ask about that. And I think his reaction to his sin is one clue why God could still call him a man after God's own heart, even though he failed miserably. And I think it was his reaction to his sin uh, is one reason why. David didn't excuse his sin, but he confessed them as they were. Honest confession with no, no excuses. When we find ourselves in sin or having sin, it's so tempting to excuse it or downplay it or hide it. And we know right from Genesis 3, where uh, God told Adam and Eve, do not eat from the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will die. And they ended up eating it, and God calls to the man, where are you? And Adam was hiding, and they attempted to cover themselves. And then when God asked Adam, what's going on? It ends up Adam blames Eve, and then he actually blames God for making Eve. I kind of chuckle because a chapter later, when God presents Eve to Adam, he goes, whoa, this is, this is what we're talking about. And a chapter later, well, you made her. It's, it's actually your fault how quickly the turnaround happened. And so we inherited these things from Adam, we hide, we try to cover ourselves up our own way, we blame each other, and we might even blame God. You made me this way, or why didn't you do something? And David didn't do that. The shame and guilt for failing God is heavy, so yes, we're tempted to try to excuse it, do something. But David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And I think that was part of that heart that uh, was a heart after God. He wanted to be restored. He acknowledged that this was breaking his relationship and uh, wanted that restored. And this is what it talks about in 2 Corinthians 7. There's this difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow feels the shame and guilt but it doesn't want to change that or it wants to find a way out other than coming to God. And, and godly sorrow uh, is acknowledging what David did, that I sinned against you, I committed this sin, I am guilty, and I'm asking for your forgiveness. And that leads to repentance where we want to get away from that sin. And worldly sorrow doesn't do that. It feels the yuckiness of the sin that my reputation might be broken or this might hurt me in other ways but doesn't process that we're hurting God or relationship with God and we're sinning against Him. 
So that's where David understood um, that he needed to come clean before God. And I think that's why uh, he continues to be a man after God's own heart, because how he handled his sin. So a biblical response to sin, I know we often kind of struggle with this. We're Christians and yet we sin. And especially if you're a newer believer, uh, that can be very frustrating. Why do I keep sinning? And uh, it can, yeah, I, I've been there myself. And so I just want to look at uh, biblical response to sin. And, and we want to look at 1 John. And I invite you to turn there. 1 John, way at the end of the, the Bible, just before uh, Revelation in Jude. And I'm just going to read uh, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. And there it says, This is the message we have heard from Him, that's Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So I want to highlight, uh, as David understood, especially verse uh, 9, and many of you might have memorized that, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So as we come to him, we don't hide, we don't wait, we don't try to pay it back. Uh, we confess our sins. It says he is faithful and just, he will forgive. And he is just because Jesus paid for that on the cross already. That's why he can forgive us. We don't have to work for it or try to pay him back somehow. It's actually an insult to God because he's provided the way. So we can come to him, even though we have that shame and guilt and we don't like it when we sin, when we come forward and confess, he says he is faithful and he will forgive. He will restore our relationship. And I know sometimes people ask me this question. It feels like I've sinned so many times. Like, at what point is God going to leave me? Or it sometimes even feels like He's left me. And we know that He doesn't leave true believers. And what we're feeling is the broken relationship between us and God. In Ephesians 4, it says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. When we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit, so that relationship is broken, and that's what we're feeling, that separation uh, that sin causes. 
because our sin has already been paid for by Jesus. So that's why we need to come and confess and make that right so that that relationship can be restored. And that's what David cried out for. Restore to me the joy of salvation. Create in me a clean heart. All these things that David cried out for uh, to long just to get that relationship back in a good place. Verse 7 is so encouraging. But if we walk in the light, that means that we're walking with Jesus and we're keeping short accounts on sin. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we walk in the light, as we confess our sins, we're enjoying fellowship with each other. And uh, it says his blood continually cleanses us. It, it witnesses to us that we are clean, we are forgiven, and that's a great place to be. So it's actually a gift when we sin, we don't feel good, we feel that yucky feeling. It's a gift from God to say, hey, something's wrong, we need to fix this and get back to a right relationship. And so the Holy Spirit does that work in us. One commentator, this phrase really struck me, one commentator said, as we feel the weight of sin and how utterly helpless we are to deal with it and fix it, and then to meditate on the great price that was paid to pay for it, it should make our heart know how little it deserves and how much it owes. And when that sinks in, it should cause this humble praise and loving service to our great Savior. And lastly, uh, David prayed that he could instruct others how to find this forgiveness uh, and what to do with our sin. Whether you're a believer who is sinning that needs forgiveness or maybe you've never accepted Jesus before, uh, you can come and have your sins forgiven. And so I want to encourage you as well, uh, maybe you're in a good place. And maybe you're thinking, well, this doesn't really apply, but I want you to be encouraged that you have something that people uh, are longing for, what to do with their sin. And you have the answer, where to go to find forgiveness and restoration. And so I want to encourage you uh, to be on the lookout for that, to be able to have those chances to uh, instruct others how to find this uh, forgiveness from a God who is so merciful and forgiving. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for Psalm 51. Uh, although it is heavy and it, it just shows a very dark time in David's life when he uh, drifted into sin uh, and committed adultery, committed murder, and uh, then he found his way back, uh, even though there were some horrible consequences to his sin, uh, he was forgiven and restored. And I know we can have different people here today, uh, people who are maybe in sin right now, wondering, where do I go now? And we're tempted to hide or try to pay it back, but I pray that you would convict us to hear this morning that we need to come and confess to you and receive your forgiveness and be restored. And I pray for some of those who maybe struggle with their sin that maybe you've left them or, or you don't love them anymore and that is just not true. 
the relationship may be broken and needs to be restored. So I pray that they would hear that this morning, that you have not left, but you are wanting to have this dealt with and so that there can be restoration and the relationship restored. And I pray for us as we head out uh, in our families, uh, workplace or Bible study groups, whatever it is, that we would find opportunities to instruct each other, encourage each other where to find this forgiveness and restoration, to walk in the light like John tells us, to walk in the light and have fellowship with each other and to be in a right relationship with you. And I think most of us know what that tastes like, what that looks like, and we long to just keep having that. And I know at times, myself included, we are frustrated when we find ourselves drifting to sin and breaking that relationship. Uh, but help us to biblically deal with that. Um, thank you for this time. Uh, just bless everyone as they head out from here. In Jesus' name, amen.